Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. If you get your Bibles ready or your iPads, we welcome those listening by way of the internet. If you turn to Psalm 63 with me today, Psalm 63, we're going to come to that in just a moment. I really believe God has something to say today. How many of you believe that? You know, someone said to me the other day, they said, how do you prepare your sermons? I had a, another minister come to see me and to, I'd asked him to speak into my life. He's got a much bigger church in the UK and he came to, to encourage me and speak to me and and he says, how do you prepare your message? I said, I just let the Holy Spirit show me, and I really believe God wants to speak today. Uh, there were several things this week that the Lord, as I spent time just seeking God, that I just felt that God wanted to say. There are even certain people in this church, members of this church, who said specific words this week that clarified what I needed to speak today. So God is here. Amen? Amen. Psalm 63, we're going to look at in just a moment, but the title of the message today is this, is God is still God. God is still God. Now, what do I mean by that? Many of us in our Christian lives, we love it when we get saved and everything's going well and we love that first feeling of being saved and God is doing amazing things. I'll never forget what happened in my life. But one of the biggest problems that we face sometimes is when trouble comes and we don't expect it. We don't understand it. We don't understand some of the trials we go through. We, we say, we've never signed up to this as a Christian. I never thought that I was going to have any issues. Jesus said this, that there will be trouble in this world, but take our I've overcome the world. In other words, Jesus did not promise by any means that there wouldn't be trouble. He promised at Christmas time, as we sing in songs, that there'll be peace on earth. But there's not always peace on earth. I don't know about you, but you turn BBC News on and it doesn't look like peace to me. And so sometimes as Christians, we find it very difficult to understand where God is when there's problems. And I don't know about you, but I feel like that. I mean, I've got problems every single day. And so I want to encourage you today that I really believe God wants to lift you in your spirits and encourage you that He is still God. He doesn't change, by the way. We might change our perceptions, but whatever hap- what's, whatever's happening in your life right now, however bad it is, as much as you might want to see someone and talk to someone and need counsel, whatever is wrong today, God knows. Amen? Not even the best prophet knows. God knows every single detail of our lives. He is still God. Now, I remember that when I used to work in, in the secular business, every, most times I'd go into work and I'd tell people about things that's happened in my life, good things. Many times people in my office would say this, Ah, but the sun shines on the righteous. The sun shines on the righteous. You've got it all sort of, you've got a halo above your head. You've got a church. The sun shines on the righteous. And many of us believe that that is true sometimes, that we get blessing from God. But some of us don't expect the rain. Some of us don't expect the problems. 
The scripture actually says this in Matthew 5.45. It says this, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. In other words, there's no point in them telling us that the sun shines on us because it also shines on them. How many of you have seen those people? Sometimes it really aggravates me when you know these are, these are sinners. These are real people who are doing bad stuff and you've seen them being blessed. How many of you know that God loves to bless even the sinners, the evil ones around us? Not that we're all not sinners. He says this also and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Do you put that on your fridge? Is that on your magnet? Is that on that card in, inside your house that he's going to send rain as well? You see, none of us want to have the rain. We all want the sun. But the trouble is sometimes the rain comes. What's important is, is how we react in all seasons. Sometimes there's sun, sometimes there's drought, sometimes there's rain. Sometimes you're completely blessed. I mean, I don't know about you, but anytime I'm blessed, I'm waiting for something to happen. It's like I'm waiting for the drought. It's like, what is going, what's around the next corner? You know, we shouldn't have a view like that, but it's, it's naturally how we feel. Because we understand, Christian or non-Christian, life is a roller coaster of different emotions, different things coming our way. But the truth is this, if we have God in our lives, if Jesus is at the center, then we have a different perspective. Christians need to be ready for the sun, rain, and the droughts. You've got to be ready for everything that is coming your way. I want to just show you something before we come to Psalm 63, which I really feel that God wants to help people with today. But in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27, Jesus says something very important. And he is not speaking, by the way, to non-believers. He's speaking in both instances to followers. He says this, everyone... Who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is saying here effectively that this is for you, whether you're, if you're a believer, That you have an option, you have a choice, that as you read his word, as you understand in that journey of your Christian walk, that you can have two ways of treating his word. You can either apply it, you can take it on board and digest it and apply it in your life, so that it becomes a solid foundation, so that whatever comes against it, it will stand. Or you can just read the word and what does James say? We read it and then we forget it, don't we? We just forget what we've read and we don't, we're not doers of the word. We don't put this into practice. You see, many people say that the Bible is just some old-fashioned book. I don't believe that at all. I believe it's life-giving word. It's God-breathed. It speaks life into situations. So when you read it, you've got to believe that what you're reading is actually doing something in your heart. 
whatever you feel like inside. Jesus is saying here, actually, get ready in both instances, whether you apply the word or you don't apply it properly, there is rain a-coming. In other words, both instances, whether you are a strong believer or not, you can apply the word, the rain is coming, the streams are going to rise, and the winds are going to beat. In other words, he's saying this, whatever you are, however super spiritual you are, get ready for the rain. Get ready for the wind. Get ready for the streams to rise up, because there is pressure coming your way, but you need to know how to withstand it. So I want to encourage you today, that actually being a Christian is not always that easy. Join the club. It's not easy. There is trouble coming. And we've got to get ready for it. Jesus does not remove it. He says, take heart, I've overcome the world. In 2004, in, I think it was Boxing Day, many of you will remember there was a huge tsunami that happened. It hit around Thailand, different places. And just two months before that happened, myself and Emma, we were in um, Sri Lanka, and we were on the south coast of Sri Lanka. One Sunday morning, I'll never forget it, we got a taxi and we said, we're going to go to the best beach on the island, and um, we went right down to the bottom. Someone had told us, go to this beach, and Sunday morning, I took my good, my latest book that I was reading, and I went to sit on this lounger. They said, there's turtles in the, in the sea. It's, uh, it's paradise. And in September, this was our honeymoon of 2004, we were sat on the beach looking out on a Sunday morning, looking at the turtles in the sea, reading this great book, listening to my latest music. Two months later, we see on the news that the same beach is completely wiped out. I had all my photographs on my gallery that I was looking through. And every single photo of all the houses, I saw pictures on the news of the same beach and there was not one house standing. You see, those houses that were built there were pretty houses. They looked good, but they were not built to withstand the pressure of a tsunami. No one expected in paradise for that to come in the moments that it did. On that Boxing Day morning, no one understood or expected that such force would destroy what it destroyed in such little time. And Some of us today, we live our lives on this kind of view or perspective that actually, you know, problems are going to come, but I'm okay. I'll, I'll apply God's word another day. I'll, I'll strengthen myself another day. But for now, I've just got to get this sorted. I've got to do that. I've got to do this. And actually what God is saying, get ready. Because it's times and trials when you need your faith to hold you up and strengthen you. That tsunami came and surprised many people. It took lots of lies. And you know, when the pressure's on and the heat's on, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to rob us. He comes to take what we have. I want you to look at Psalm 63 now because I really believe that this psalm is of someone, and we know he's David, who writes this psalm. He writes it in a moment, we believe, that we read in First Samuel, all about David's journey and, his, and Saul's pursuit for David. His angry pursuit to kill him. 
Saul is not happy with David. He's seen him kill Goliath. He's seen David succeed. He's seen that people are attracted to him. We have also know that Samuel has anointed him and told him secretly, you're going to be king. He's had this secret anointing and Saul now is after him. He's pursuing him. How many of you today feel like something is pursuing you? Something is trying to take you down. I believe that story is, signifies our lives. It shows us that actually in our lives, we've all got sometimes some soul trying to cripple us. Some soul trying to take us down. And sometimes we feel actually we're not living life as a Christian how we want to. We're actually hiding away in the desert. We're hiding away in the wilderness, crying out, saying, I don't understand why these things are happening. Here we read in Psalm 63, David's cry in the wilderness. He says this, number one, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. He says this, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him. While the mouths of liars will be silenced. David did not feel strong. He did not feel on top of the world. In this wilderness situation. And so many of you today, you're thinking maybe, I'm in my wilderness situation. Why am I not feeling strong? Why am I not feeling at this moment that these things are happening to me? I don't understand why I've got to this position. Why is it people or, 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 or people have pursued me and tried to hurt me and damage me? Why is it that this has happened to me? And we don't understand it sometimes. We don't even understand it actually when there's illnesses that come. When there are things that come, diseases, and we can't understand why all of a sudden we may have found out there's cancer in our lives. How many times do you hear today of someone coming saying, I found this cancer? There's so many of our friends, non-Christians and Christians, who are discovering cancer. And there's this pursuit and sometimes it brings a, a depression upon us. It makes us feel low. How do we cope? How do we get through when life is like this? I believe David gives us the keys. He helps us to understand that there is hope in your darkest hour. Come on. There is hope in your darkest hour. And I believe sometimes that God uses these dark hours to prepare us for what he's going to do next. It's how you withstand it. You read the book of Job and you'll see that. You read all the way through the book of Job and you'll see that darkness comes his way. 
We don't understand why it happened. But we know that why the test came for Job. It's because God knew that Job stood well for him. The enemy wanted to test him, to rob him of his faith. Number one today, I want to bring from this Psalm, Psalm 63, I want to bring three things to you to help you to understand how God is going to help you in your time of need. Number one, God is still God in times of desperation. God is still God in times of desperation. How many of you sometimes feel, I am so desperate for God to help me? I'm so desperate. I don't understand what's happening. No one understands my situation. No one understands how I'm feeling. No one understands what's going wrong in my life. I'm desperate. I used to sing that song, I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for you. Sometimes I wasn't desperate. Sometimes I am and I know what it is to be desperate. Some people right now in this room, you know what it means to be desperate. Psalm 63 verse 1, this is what happens. David cries out, he says, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Not just my mouth on Sunday morning for four songs. My whole being longs for you. When was the last time you got on your knees and cried to God in worship at home? When was the last time you cried to him and said, God help me? Not just waiting for Sunday for someone to lead you in song. This is good, but we need to know what it is to cry out with our whole being. He earnestly seeks God. Do you know what I love sometimes? That when God brings battles my way and challenges, that it takes me to my knees. Because sometimes I'm not there. Sometimes I'm just not there. When life is good, we ain't there. This is great blessing, God. Thank you very much. Life's good. I'm under the anointing. Life's good. And God sometimes allows these things to happen. Why? To bring us to our knees so that we will earnestly seek Him. We will cry out. Our souls will cry out to Him. Someone once said this, when you come to the end of yourself, you're at the beginning with God. I didn't say that. Someone else said it. But I think it's it's true. When you come to the end of yourself, you're at the beginning with God. I remember years ago we... I, went, I used to love camping and we went camping with my parents and we, I love cycle, uh, you know, mountain biking in the, in the hills. We went to the Lake District and we also went to this place in North Yorkshire and we went on this cycle ride and then we didn't have iPhones or multi-maps or guidance systems. It was just an ordnance survey map. Anyone see one of them? Do they still exist today? An ordnance survey map. You've got to work your way around. And I'll, I'll never forget my dad. We, we went on this trip. And we went into the middle of nowhere in the, North, in the North Yorkshire Moors. And we were traveling through on our bikes. And we went to this house because we'd run out of water. And we said, we need to stock up on water because we're not really sure what this next bit's going to bring. So we go to a house. We knock on the door. And they give us water. They fill our water bottles up. And then we set off on this next section of the ride. And it all went wrong when we got one wrong turn and we got lost, completely lost. This particular day, it was about 90 degrees. You don't normally get that in England, but it was about 90 degrees heat. We were getting dehydrated. We were stood there, and honestly, you realize, don't you, when people are desperate and you need water, people start getting a little bit cross. They get a little bit angry. 
even me and my parents. I'm saying, is anyone going to get us out, out of this place? And down at the bottom, there was a reservoir. And I, I was actually thinking, I am so tempted to go and drink any water at the moment. We got lost and we got frustrated. And I thought, there's no way out of this place. When we are desperate sometimes, it brings out our emotions. You see, I remember that day, we always joke as a family about it, how everyone was getting upset and angry. Of who was going to get us out of this situation. And the truth is this, that what happens is it brings out you. It brings out the true colors of who you really are. You can't just come in on Sunday morning with your Sunday best on, saying this is me and I've got the anointing. You can't do that. And, because, and then I've go through these situations. You've got to see that God wants to bring out everything of who you are. Refine you. Some of the worst bits of us need to come off. The only way you can do it is reveal them to us. Because we tell ourselves that we're perfect sometimes. How many of you know we're not perfect? God is constantly showing me things. I don't know about you. You see, what happens is this. When we become weak, what it does is this. It affects our perception of God. Weakness will affect your perception of God. How many times I've visited people in hospitals, I've sat by the beds. It's then when their moments are, those times when they're at their weakest, when they can't even pray. I've had people cry, say, Phil, I cannot even pray because of the pain. What do you say to someone like who's in that situation? Do you know what the enemy does? He uses our weakness to change our perception. He wants your weakness to come and now he wants you to get angry with God. He did it with Job. He wants you to be angry with God, to shift your perception of who God is through your weakness. We see this in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 verse 1. Right at the very beginning, the serpent says this to Adam and Eve. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? In other words, he's saying to them, did God really say, did you, did you get who God really is? Did he say this to you? And one of the first signs that you'll find is this, that he tries to shift your perception of who God is in your weakness. He takes advantage. But how does David respond in Psalm 63? The very first verse, he says, you, God, are my God. You, God, are I'm my God. In other words, in that desperate moment when he can be at his weakest, he can feel low, what he's saying is this, I'm going to declare who my God is. I'm going to declare that you, God, are my God. No matter what I'm feeling, no matter what's happening, I'm not going to shift or, or lower your status. I'm not going to shift my perspective. I'm going to now going to tell you before I even sing this song. I'm going to tell you, God, you're my God. Nothing changes. You see, when you shift God's status and you just shift it slightly, what happens is this: you get a foot, you give a foothold for Satan. What he does, he wants you to just slightly go off course to say, I don't believe God is everything he says he is because why would this happen? The moment we do that, it shifts the status of who God is. Now the enemy has a foothold in our lives. 2 Corinthians eleven three, Paul says this. He refers to Eve being tempted in Genesis 3. And he says this. 
He says to the Corinthian church, verse 3, I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpents, by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. In other words, what the enemy wants you to do is actually break down your devotion. In other words, the enemy wants to say, if I can shift your perspective of who God is, if you can shift your status, it will actually not give pure devotion to Christ. It will actually give a measure. How many of you know that if you're, not giving, if you're only giving 99.9%, the enemy has a foothold? If you're giving 99.9%, it's not pure devotion to Christ. And what Paul is saying is this. He says, I'm afraid, I'm worried that, the, that just as, in, as Eve was tempted, that you as you could be tempted by the enemy today, you'll give up your devotion just a small bit. It won't be pure. It won't be full devotion to Christ. And I believe that God is looking in those moments of weakness. He's saying, do not change your perspective. It's then when the enemy is going to come in and say, look, change it. You can't have this. The enemy, that God doesn't want you to have this. Did God really say? And question your thoughts. I want to encourage you today that you need to stick God in his position all the time. He never changes. He always stays the same. David maintains his devotion. Because then he goes on to say this. I earnestly seek you. My whole being longs for you. In other words, he doesn't allow the enemy to rob him of his devotion. Even in the wilderness, he still gives the full devotion to God. Some of us today have let the enemy in. We've allowed the enemy to come in and we can't get him out. We've allowed the enemy to take control and we lost devotion to God. I remember several years ago I was in the house and some guy came knocking on the door. I don't know if you get these, but the salesman who come trying to sell double glazing, my windows were all fully done and they still told me I needed new windows. I said, I've got new windows. He said, have you? I thought, well, they can't be that good then. And then he said, you need new guttering. And he tried on the next thing. In the end, I don't know how he did it, but he got in the house. I mean, I, I'm quite good at this. I'm a northerner. You know, I need a good deal. And I said, come on inside then. And I, and I let this guy in. He came in and he sat down and he was there nearly an hour and a half trying to sell me double glazing that I didn't even need. To the point, and I, I ain't joking, I actually said, if you don't leave, I'm calling the police. I, I did. He, he got angry. He asked me why. He even brought a price up. He told me what I needed to do. I said, listen, you've got to get out of here. I don't want this. I thought, I cannot believe I wasted an hour and a half of my life with this man for something I don't even need. But do you know what? It was his smooth words and his manipulation that got me just all he needed. All he needed for one and a half hours of my time was just to get over the threshold. From the pavement to the carpet, he only needed one step in. Then he got a cup of tea. Then he was sat in the lounge. The kids even came and he was saying, oh, it's nice to see the kids. I thought, are you just trying to, you know, trying to really butter up to me? One step in. Listen, the enemy is the same. He's like a salesman coming to you to tell you stuff that you don't need. He's saying, you're weak. You need this. 
You need to go and do this to please yourself. You need to please yourself with this because where is God in your wilderness? You turn that computer on. You look at pornography. You go and sleep with that person and enjoy it. Because if you do, you need to enjoy yourself. Did God really say you shouldn't enjoy yourself? You need to turn on that computer and look at what you want to look at. Let your eyes be blessed. Just one look. One little look. Won't hurt. And then what happens the moment you let that little look step in? The moment you do that, an hour and a half later, you're depressed. It's all robbed. God, I've lost it all. God doesn't want you to get into those situations because the enemy is so good at telling you what to do, but when you've done it, he tells you what you've done wrong. You, you ever found that? He tells you what to do to help you. Then when you do it, he tells you what you've done wrong and tells you that there's no way out. I mean, it's not really helpful, is it? But God says this, I want to tell you what to do because I want to stop you from doing it because I don't want you to get in a position like that. Under condemnation. And some of us today have let a foothold in. We've said, enemy, come on in. Come on in. I need some pleasure because I am weak in my wilderness. I'm weak in this time. I've cried out to God. I've tried, but I've been crying and nothing's happening. Listen, if you don't see anything happening, it's not about what happens in front of your eyes. David knew that Saul was pursuing him. He knew there was problems, but he still said, I earnestly seek you. I don't understand it, God, but I'm going to earnestly seek you. I want to encourage you today. God is still God in times of your desperation. Number two, God is still God in times of depression. Did I say that word? In in a church? Depression. Do you know what? That today depression is one of the biggest things in the doctor's surgeries. I speak to doctors and I talk to them. They say, I cope with people coming in. I've seen programs recently on TV with young children depressed. Depression is a killer. But listen, sometimes we're going to get low. Sometimes things are going to happen in our lives. And I want to give you some good news today. Sometimes we can be depressed. What? Yes. We can feel low. God has built you with emotions to deal with things. Sometimes you are going to feel low. It's how you deal with it is the issue. How do I respond when God is not there and I can't feel him and I feel depressed? And I feel low. I've been giving him my all. I've been doing everything for God. I've been serving him, doing this and that, but yet I feel depressed. You see, Psalm 63, David writes this, verse 6, On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watchers of the night, because you are my help. Then he says this, I sing in the shadow of your wings. It was, By the way, Sam knew nothing about what I'm going to preach on today. I was blessed when he was singing shadow of your wings. I never like to tell these guys what I'm going to preach on, so let the Spirit of God work it all out. But listen to me. One thing I see when I read this is that there's one thing about David here that we may not have picked up before. But he says, I remember you on my bed and I call out to you in the watches of the night. Do you know what that means? He's got insomnia. He can't sleep. He's got problems 
24 hours a day. Some of you right now are depressed through the night. You can't even sleep at night because of the problems that you're going through. You take your problems to bed. My mum used to say to me, sleep on it. Sometimes I can't sleep on it because I'm thinking about it. She said it'll be better in the morning. It's not, I've dwelt on it all night and it gets worse. But it's true. Some of us today, we go home. Some people I meet, they're fearful of going to bed because it's then when they dwell. And David here, it's like this. He's saying, I'm going to sing this song, but actually I know that when I go to bed and it's time to, when everything goes dark and I'm in the wilderness and I've got to sleep, it's all then when everything hits me, the problems hit me, and I ain't sleeping. I've got insomnia. Some of you today can't sleep because of problems. You're depressed and you're low, but look, David went through it. David had your same issue, but what did he do? What did David do to respond to depression? He says this, you are my help and I sing in the shadow of your wings. Draw close to him. Draw close to him in your time of need. I want to encourage you this, don't just wait for Sunday to worship, but you worship in your bed. You worship and sing out to Jesus. Lift him up. Lift him up. Depression has become a real taboo. And Christians sometimes, they, they feel like they're going to be happy 24 hours a day in front of everyone. Do you know what? I've found that sometimes when I tell people I'm a bit low, it's a good thing. Sometimes we've got to be honest with people and tell them when we're depressed. You can't hold it in. You see, this is what happens in Romans 5.17. Paul said this, that we would reign in life. How many of you feel that you're reigning in life when the alarm clock goes off on the morning? You have to get up and the chores you have to do, the problems in our lives. Sometimes I can't really say that I'm reigning in life. I mean, reigning means that you've got authority of your life. I can't say sometimes that I feel like I'm reigning. Romans 8, 37 says we're more than conquerors. Amen, but sometimes I don't feel like a conqueror. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm conquering anything. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says we're victorious. We're overcomers. We are. But sometimes I don't feel victorious. I don't know about you. Sometimes I feel like I've lost the battle. And depression can kick in. Many years ago, in 95, I did a cycle ride from Edinburgh Castle to where I lived in, in Rotherham area, I did it with some of the guys and my friends, and we cycled to raise money for multiple sclerosis. And I'll never forget, it was a grueling ride. And actually, I was in pain, and I was quite, feeling quite low from the ride and when we did it. And I remember that one of the things that was the objective for me is to get to the end, to take a picture for the newspaper, because the, new, the local newspaper were going to take a picture of me and all my friends accomplishing a ride. So we did the ride, we arrived there, and we, we get to the end, and we stand there and they take this photograph and there's a big smile. But actually underneath I was tired and exhausted and in pain. But I put the biggest smile on because I knew that that shot would go into the paper. I wanted people to see that I'd succeeded and everything was well and I'd done it well. They didn't realize that some days I felt like quitting. Some days I felt like throwing the towel. Some days I was in so much pain that I thought this is not for me. But right then, there and then, I'd finished the ride and I stood there and the photographer said, smile, say cheese, and I put the biggest smile on. You would have thought that I'd have done it like so easy. And some of us sometimes in our lives, you know what we're doing every single week? We're coming to church just for the big photo. We're coming for the photo. We're saying, this is me. 
But underneath, we're depressed. Look, it's okay sometimes to feel like this. God can deliver us from depression and feeling low. But I really believe this, that you cannot be an overcomer unless you've overcome something. I don't know about you. How can you be an overcomer if you've not overcome anything? How can you be victorious if you've not won a battle? Some of us, sometimes we don't like that bit. We, that the fact that God allows tests for us to be overcomers, to be victorious. You see, he's going to allow things. He's going to allow the pressure to come onto you so you can be victorious. So you can stand for him and say, this is me. And I'm here today because of my God. You cannot be an overcomer if there's nothing overcome. There's things in our life I could tell you about through the past problems that me and Emma have run into and difficulties and challenges. I've questioned, where are you, God? Then a prophet comes and says something that he knows all the details of the problem. He still doesn't help me because the prophet's told me he knows the problem, but I still feel low. But now I understand that the problems I went through, I'm now helping other people with. You see, when you're an overcomer, when you've overcome something and you've come through it, you will understand that you can help other people because you are an overcomer. So don't even, if any trial or suffering comes your way, rejoice. Say, I know that God is going to use this for my good to help others. All the time, I look at it. In this way now, in Psalm 23 verse 4, it says this. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. But you've got to walk through the valley of the shadow of death first. You've got to walk through the valley of the shadow of death to understand that. Who wants to walk through the valley of the shadow of death? There's some people today here, you don't have to have someone die in your family. You can be walking through some valley of depression and darkness. The lowest point of your life. But listen, God says this. If you walk through it, you're not going to fear any evil. Because I'm going to show you what it is to stand firm. I put here that sometimes the only way to recognize you're reigning in life is when you're able to walk through your valley of death. The only way you're going to realize you're reigning in life is when you walk through your valley of death. That's the time. It's the time when you understand. When I was a young boy and I watched my dad pray over my sister. She was dying with a 24-hour critical condition of meningitis. We were told she's not going to live or she'll be brain damaged. It was then when we were in our valley of the shadow of death. It was then when I saw my dad get on his knees and cry like he's never cried before. It was then when I watched my family nearly fall apart. We served you, God, for all these years. Why us? Why? Then God came through. She was healed completely. Today with two children, completely healed. When you walk through your valley of the shadow of death, he's preparing you. For what God is going to do in your life. I want to encourage you today. Don't despise those times. On Tuesday night we were here. We had a Bible study. If some of you are here. You'll know that God came in this room. That doesn't normally happen on Bible studies does it? It does here. Because we had a Bible study for one hour. And I said I'm going to do a bit of worship at the end. I did two songs and God came in the room. I wasn't expecting it. 
God touched me. Many of you won't know this, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I don't hide things. But I've had pains and problems in my left side of my body for months. I had blood tests. The blood tests started telling me things about my liver. And then so I've got to go back for more tests. I've got to have other things done. Look, I'm not bothered about telling anyone this because I, I believe and trust God. But how many of you know when these things start happening, you start telling yourself you're in the valley of the shadow of death, things are not going right. The enemy will use those moments bringing you low and telling you that this is not a good time for you. God's finished with you. His plans are over for you. And I keep telling myself, no, it's now. God has not finished with me yet. It's not the end. I read Facebook posts and people put things up all the time and there's things, there's that much to read. I don't read them all the time. But the other day someone posted something and God bless them, a friend of mine. And I, he just he, he fired out of the page at me. Tell me that God has not finished with you yet. And I see many things, I scroll up. But all of a sudden it fired out at me and spoke straight into my spirit. And tell me, get up. Stop being depressed. Not finished yet. I came here and all of a sudden after two songs of worship, God just hit me. And I began to cry. God started touching people in the room. At the end of that service, I asked Rob to pray for me. I said, I've got pain now in the left side of this body. I said, I've got a scan. I've got a, a result. I'm waiting for the blood test for my liver, which is this side. So I don't think it's anything relevant. But the pain, how many of you know that with Dr. Google, you start associating everything? You know, it doesn't matter whether your liver, your liver could be here, but you, you still have liver problems. You've got a headache. Good old Dr. Google. Ask Dr. Google. And so I, I asked Dr. Google and he told me lots of different things, the symptoms, and I'm trying to work everything out in my own body. But do you know what? This pain was the problem because the pain is the thing I could feel. Now, the liver, I can't feel a thing. So whether they tell me there's a problem or not, that's irrelevant. But this pain was my problem. I said, look, I, I've just cried out to God and I just really feel God's just told me to come and ask you to pray for me. And after everyone had gone, I said, pray for me. And he took me into room one and he prayed for me. Since that day, I've had no pain in my body. I've had nothing, nothing there. And I've actually slept well. I felt the best I've felt since that night. Do you know what? Removing that pain helped me because no, no matter what's going on over here and the things I've got to pursue, when the pain went and God dealt with that, he said, look, I've removed that for you. Stop worrying. Stop associating things and getting depressed. And I trusted God. Some of us sometimes need to cry out. I cried out. I'd only sung two songs and I don't know what happened. It just, God just hit me and said, cry out to me and ask me. David knew that his worship was the key to his breakthrough. Amen. He says, you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. We also see this, that David in Psalm 63, in his depression, in this time where he's feeling low and he's He's saying, I remember you on the bed at night and in the watches of the night. Next, it says this, I have seen you, in verse 2, in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. What he's saying is this, I'm remembering that I've seen your power. 
I'm remembering the peak moments, those great times when I sensed your presence. You could see that what he's saying is this, that I'm not really feeling that power now. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to declare in my heart, in my worship, that I remember there a certain point in my life when I felt your presence and your power and I beheld it in the sanctuary. I remember that moment. I'm now going to tell myself and remind myself of that moment. Because when I do, it's going to help me right now. Why couldn't God come right there and then and go, here, have it again? If he gave it in once, why couldn't he do it there and then? Because he wants us to remember him, come back to him, pursue him. If you get something constant, you get complacent. If you feel a constant presence of, oh, this is amazing, I never feel anything wrong in my life, you get complacent. So God, what he does is he doesn't remove himself from you, but he distances and he says, come, pursue me, follow me. That's what he's doing to us many times. And in worship, we need to remember that. It's the key to our breakthrough. The other thing is this, that what we've got to remember is this, that when he's saying, I remember those times in the sanctuary, I remember those times, God, and I can just see David right now doing this. I remember this and I remember that. I can, I can just see him now saying this. I remember in 1 Samuel 16 that Samuel, he anointed me. He told me this over my life. He told me that you're going to be king. It was a secret anointing that happened behind closed doors and Saul's coming to pursue him and he knows that there is a, pro- a promise on his life that there is something bigger than the wilderness. In 1 Samuel 16, he says, God, I'm going to remember because I remember Samuel saying that you're going to be the king, you're anointed, there is something bigger, there is a bigger anointing coming. And I can see him right now saying, I'm going to remember this. In that depressive moment, remind yourself of the prophecies. Remind yourself of the promises. Remind yourself of what God said, not what other people say. Remind yourself of what God says over your life. You see, there's this moment here that is in that wilderness, in that depressive state, and I call it the pause. It's the pause. Many times we watch a film on Netflix and we pause it. We come back later on and it remembers. It says resume play. Resume from where you last left off. I'm glad it does that because so, years ago I used to have to forward a VHS cassette and try and find the point. There was no chapters to select. You had to forward and listen to the winder go through. Now you just pick it up. It says resume from where you last left off. The kids, that's all they know. And do you know sometimes in your life what's happening in the wilderness situations is you're on pause. God is saying right now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to deal with some things in your heart. You're on pause. But look, in 1 Samuel 16, there was a prophecy that there was an anointing that came over your life. That there was a promise over your life. And I'm reminding you today, there's still more. Don't let the wilderness destroy you. Many people keep seeing on TV, Donald Trump, he's called the president-elect. In other words, there's a time, a period now where he knows that he's got the victory, but he's waiting for that moment. In January, you're going to see Mr. Trump stand. What that's going to be like, I do not know. But, and he will receive that full presidency. But now he's the president-elect. David was the secretly king-elect. 
And in his heart, he knew that January was coming. January is coming. A time is coming. And I'm not going to give up because if December's pretty bad, I know that January is coming because I am just the king elect. It means that the king is coming. I'm going to receive everything that God has promised for me. Listen to me. Today you're on pause and it's elect. But there is the full status coming of the promise of God on your life. I put here, don't let your today, today's depression rob you of tomorrow's supernatural progression. Don't let today's depression rob you of tomorrow's supernatural progression in your life. Psalm 63 verse 4, David says, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. If some of you are saying today, I don't want to raise my hands, there's no need to raise my hands. Look, David said this, in your name I'm going to do it. Because I'm desperate, I'm depressed, I will lift up my hands to you. Because that's where my help comes from. Look up and raise your hands to him. Finally, number three, God is still God in times of destruction. Destruction. Many of us as Christians don't even want to accept that there's destruction in our lives. That things happen, that death comes, that problems come and things happen and we're destroyed in some way. But listen to me, God is never going to completely destroy you. If you're eternal and you've given your life to him, then no matter what happens to your body, then you've got eternal life. But listen, in this life, there are times when destruction is going to come your way. What? God is going to allow things to be destroyed in your life. Why is it that we see that marriages are breaking up? Why is it we see sometimes that God even has allowed things to happen and people have lost relationships? It's not God's fault, but sometimes these things will happen. It's how we live with them afterwards. You see, David was being pursued, not just by someone who wanted to have a little chat with him, but he wanted to kill him. It's a bit different. You see, when Saul was with Jonathan in a meal, he knew that his dad Jonathan knew that his dad was angry when he threw the spear at him. He knew that he was after David then. He knew that something was happening. And David knew when he was in hiding that it wasn't just about a little nasty conversation that he might have to have. This was about his life. And listen to me. This is key. Because the enemy for you today is this. That his objective is to steal, kill and destroy you. To rob your marriages. To rob everything in your life. Jesus came to give life. But the enemy's objective, he's got a primary objective, is to steal, kill and destroy everything. He's your soul. And he's coming. There's different things. How many of you sometimes, you go into work sometimes and people say things negative about you. They try to destroy you and put you down. I've had it in the past. False accusations. That's where your death comes. Someone trying to pursue you to put you down and kill you off. You know it. You know there's things right now that you're facing. He says, those who want to kill me will be destroyed. He talks future tense. Do you see that? Will be destroyed. 
They will go down to the depths of the earth. Then verse 11, but the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him. Then he says this, while the mouths of liars, not were silenced, will be silenced. In other words, he's future tense. He's saying out of my praise and my glory to God and my understanding and perspective of him. I'm going to tell God right now I understand that in the future he's going to deal with these accusers. There are people who have said things and done things against you. Leave it to God. People used to say to me, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The problem is they do. In fact, sometimes words are far more hurting than sticks and stones. Sticks and stones, sometimes when the bruise is gone and it's all gone, it's fine. But words pierce the heart. They go deep into us and they cause bitterness. They're enough to kill you off sometimes. Listen to me clearly. The enemy wants to kill you with words sometimes. He wants to accuse you. He wants to pursue you. But listen, there is hope when we look to Jesus Christ. You need to put your trust in him. Proverbs 18.21 says the tongue has the power of life and death. What people say to you sometimes is probably right now in this room, you, you are probably thinking people have said and hurt me and they've, they've, they've crippled me. It knocks our character, our confidence, our passion for God. Right now across this room, I just really feel that there are people right now who have been knocked in confidence. Your character's been affected. Your passion's been lost. The word of the Lord says this today, I'm I'm still God. God is still God, even though you feel like that. God is still God. I know it's raining. I know you're not feeling the sunshine like you used to feel it on your skin. I know that it's wet and dismal in your life. The storms may be beating, but listen to me, I am with you. I have not forsaken you. People's words have enough to pierce us. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, we read at the beginning, that we need to build our house on a solid foundation. Words do really hurt us. I remember just a few, about a month or so ago, someone came here and said, a BBC journalist who I knew through a connection with someone else, an ex-BBC journalist. And he got chatting to me and he befriended me. And then he said to me, I want to write an article on a conference you're doing. So I invited him to come to the conference. He said, give me a free ticket. This guy was quite well known in the past. And I said, you can come to the conference? Yeah, you can write. And he, he, he told me he was my friend. How many of you know not to believe journalists? Sorry if you're a journalist. He came, he saw, he wrote. The article started, started off well until the second part, he really, really put me down. And I thought, where are your friends when you think you've got them? I learned a lesson, not, not to invite a BBC journalist again. An ex-BBC journalist, should I say. But listen to me. Sometimes words can hurt you. And I remember some of the things he said, and I think, you've got no idea. You don't understand me. How can you say that about us? And I could have fought my case. Do you know on Facebook today, you turn Facebook on, the things that come up on there that people put. People are fighting battles and arguing over Facebook now. I just don't read it anymore. Because it's enough to kill you. 
Don't let it allow it to get into your heart. Because bitterness creeps up. Just don't read this stuff. And some of us right now, the enemy in our lives is coming to try and destroy. But God is still God, even though you feel like you've got a pursuer. And someone is coming after you. We've got to listen to what God says, because God says he speaks life. Isaiah 55, 11 says, what comes from his mouth does not return void. In other words, we've got to tune our radio into God. I want to encourage you today that when you feel like you've got accusations and people are saying things against you, if you've got things that are coming against you, I want to encourage you today, tune into God. How do you do that? Get back into your word. Get back into the Bible. Get back into the Word of God because it is God-breathed and it will sustain you. It will release life into you. And where false accusations come, listen, just say this. I know that you will silence the mouths of the liars, God. I know that you're going to deal with those people. You're going to vindicate the people for me. You're going to deal with this for me. But right now, I'm going to listen to your words of life that lift me up and encourage and edify me. I'm going to read the word of God because that is my sure foundation. It's my firm foundation. You'll find no firm foundation on Facebook. It will cripple you. Look to him. Because when something comes and hits you like an accusation or someone says something against you or someone tries to kill you off with words, whatever it is that they do, if you're in the word of God, you will be strengthened. And that is when you'll be able to withstand the beating of the wind. You will not be wiped out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, guys. I want to ask you what voices you're listening to today. What is it that you're listening to? What are you giving your time to, to listen to that says and puts you down and makes you feel low? God is still God, you know. He does not change. In Malachi 3, 6, it says this, I, the Lord, do not change. Did you hear that? Jesus said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says here in Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, he says, the descendants of Jacob, in other words, God's people, are not destroyed. Don't let the enemy change your perception of him in your desperation. Don't let the enemy bringing other things to tempt you in your depression and in your destruction listen to the words of life because he wants to bring life into you not destruction hallelujah thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today for further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.